following sermon is made available by Antioch Presbyterian Church, located in Woodruff, South Carolina. For more information about Antioch Presbyterian Church, please visit AntiochPCA.com or contact us at info at AntiochPCA.com. May the Lord bless you as you receive gracious instruction from His Word. Our text is Psalm 67, and I've entitled the sermon, A Thanksgiving Mandate. Now, we've just had the celebration of Thanksgiving, and I'm sure that you boys and girls like me enjoy Thanksgiving. It's one of my favorite days of the year, although this year it was much different. I think I worked most of the day, but that's okay. Um, it's great. It's a time to be with family and friends. It's a time to have, uh, play games and eat lots of good food. Um, but above all, it's a time that, as we came here Wednesday evening, to focus on uh, expressing gratitude to God. The day grew out of that. Our pilgrim fathers uh, sustained through that first uh, year, uh, gathered to give thanksgiving to God. And thanksgiving, historically, has always been connected with the harvest. Uh, we don't farm much any longer, but the great majority of our ancestors lived off of the land, provided food for themselves and for others. And of course, uh, there's always an, this aspect of gladness and thanksgiving uh, when there's been a crop, a bountiful crop, but a crop that can uh, sustain us. But even today, although I don't think anybody in this room uh, farms uh, for a living, you recognize that apart from farming, uh, we would have nothing. We would have famine. All the material things that we enjoy from the various works that we do, um, all the pleasures that we have at the bottom of the food chain, so to speak, is indeed this great work of farming and animal husbandry. And so even though we might be removed from it, even two or three uh, degrees, uh, we should recognize that this harvest festival rem reminds us that, that we are absolutely dependent upon God to give that harvest uh, as the psalmist was, as he expresses it here in Psalm 67. But I want to take a different twist this morning as we think about Thanksgiving. I'm going to challenge you with the Holy Spirit's Thanksgiving mandate. For that's what we see here in this psalm. As I mentioned, um, it was a psalm for corporate worship. Uh, and we can tell from the context, it was a harvest psalm. It indeed is a thanksgiving hymn as the church reflected, God's people reflected on the bountiful harvest that God had given them, the basis of that harvest, how to pray then out of that harvest, but particularly what obligations come to us. And we recognize the obligation of giving thanks to God. Uh, we saw there in Colossians chapter 4, as we often see in, in Paul's exhortations to prayer, that we do so with thanksgiving. Thanksgiving is to mark uh, our attitude to God in all of our living and in all of our praying. So we are to give thanks to God, and that you could think of as the Thanksgiving mandate, but that's not what we're taught in Psalm 67. Psalm 67 tells us that Thanksgiving brings us another mandate. And the Thanksgiving mandate grows out of the fact that God has blessed us. We then pray for continued blessings. But why? That the nations 
may come to Christ. The Thanksgiving mandate is to pray with thankfulness that God will increase his blessings on us so that the gospel will spread to the ends of the earth. That's what we see here. And we'll consider the psalm under three headings. We're going to look at the church's petition, the church's passion, and the church's program. Now, the church's petition is given to us in the first two verses. God, be gracious to us and bless us. Cause his face to shine upon us, that your way may be known on the earth, your salvation among all of the nations. I trust that many of you will recognize the origin of the petition that we have in verse 1 and why it's put in the third person. God, be gracious to us and bless us and cause his face to shine upon us. Even you boys and girls should recognize that what we have here is that great blessing from Numbers chapter 6 that we often use in our worship service. Here we're told this is the biblical foundation for giving a benediction. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord causes face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. The Lord lifts up his countenance on you and give you peace. Now, just as in Psalm 136, we have a thrifold name of God that at least hints at the Trinity. Uh, the church, even in the Old Covenant, recognized the diversity of here. Matthew Henry says that the three words Jehovah all have different accents. And it was puzzling to the Jews uh, why this name Jehovah would have this threefold distinction. But the New Testament commentary on this benediction explains it to us fully, doesn't it? For I trust that you'll see the parallel with 2 Corinthians 13. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, which is the middle petition or statement here, the love of God the Father and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Now that is simply the New Testament commentary on the Lord bless you and keep you. And there's God's love out of which he takes care of us. And the Lord causes faith to shine upon us is the grace of God by which he bestows on us the privilege of our uh, righteousness and our acceptance in his family, and then uh, his countenance to shine upon us, that work of the Holy Spirit um, in our lives. And as we've reminded you so often, that what we have here is not a, a wish, and that's not a prayer. Now, what we have here is, in fact, God himself. And this is why it's always given through a man who's been set aside as a spokesman for God, ordained to the ministry of the word. What we have in these benedictions is God himself bestowing on you these things. You need to understand that. That's why we do two things. That's why I ask you to look up at me. Don't bow your head for prayer. That's also why I ask you, according to your conscience, it's a biblical posture that from your waist, not, not up like this, but from your waist, you stretch forth your hands because you are acknowledging this gift of God, this blessing of God that he is bestowing on you individually and corporately. And we want you to walk out that door every time you hear any of these benedictions Aware of the fact that God has done something important in your life and sends you out. But how else then do you use the benediction? Well, obviously you should reflect on it as you leave and as you live during the week. But we learn from the Psalms, and not just this Psalms, that you are to take this blessing of God and turn it into a prayer. So that's what the psalmist does here. And the psalmist often does this. He takes 
one or two or three of these lines out of the benediction and turns them into petitions. And so, God be gracious to us and bless us. Cause his face to shine upon us. So now we're taking that which God has granted to us in corporate worship, and now we live by it by turning it into petitions that God would indeed do these things for us. And we have boldness to pray this because the, the benediction comes with God's authority. It's spoken by God's mouthpiece. We, by faith, look up and receive it, and now we're going to live by it by making it our prayers. Do you pray the benediction? The psalmist does, and you should go forth expecting God to do these things and ask him then to do them for you, that he will indeed shower his love upon you and that he will bless you with all of the gospel hope and inheritance and righteousness and sanctification and that the spirit of Christ will be the one who guides you and protects you and keeps you. So this is to be our petition corporately. It's to be our petition individually and in our families. But notice the purpose of the petition. Notice the word that. Verse 2. We've got a purpose statement now. We're asking God to do this. We're praying this so that. Now we turn to the second person. Your way may be known on the earth. Your salvation among all the nations. Do you see how the psalmist turns the prayer from us to a desire uh, for the name of God to be known unto the ends of the earth? So we are taught to pray here for God's blessings, even as we give thanks for those blessings, that he will be gracious, that he will bless us. But not that we simply spend it on ourselves. Not that we become introverted. No, but that the way of God may be known throughout the world. The way of God is the revelation of God in his word that explains to us a God and his acts and how he would have us then to follow him in the way. That is then further amplified with God's salvation, God's saving acts for us in the Lord Jesus Christ. And we are praying for God's blessing that the people on the earth, among all the nations, will come to know the way of the Lord, will come into a saving relationship with the triune holy God through the Lord Jesus Christ. Just as I hope and pray that every one of you here this morning knows the way of the Lord. Have you come uh, into that way by grace? Have you by faith received the salvation of the Lord Jesus Christ? There's no other way. And this is to be our passion for ourselves, our children, our neighbors. Our passion for our counties and for the upstate, for our state, for our nation, for the ends of the earth. This is why every week in our a corporate prayer, we simply cycle through all the different parts of the world where we have friends and missionaries laboring because we want to see God bless us Bless his church that the nations might come to know him. So you see that in the midst of thanksgiving, in the midst of enjoying the many blessings that God has put upon us, that we must never simply be inward. And we must not isolate ourselves from the world. We must recognize that we all are stewards. 
Individually, you're a steward of what has been given to you. Corporately, we are stewards of what God has given to us. And that as we thank God for his blessings, we are encouraged to pray for further blessings, but not just to spend them on ourselves. Now, God, God enjoys blessing us. And he, he blesses us spiritually, and he blesses us materially. Remember how uh, John prays for Gaius, that you'll prosper in your estate as you do in your soul. And as our catechism teaches us, that uh, uh, God's blessings uh, of long life and prosperity are according to his glory and our good. And God delights in blessing us, but God wants us always to have an outward look, an extroverted look with respect to our blessings, and not to hoard them on ourselves. This then is to be our petition as a church. Even as we give thanks, we ask for further blessing. We're asking for blessing that God will bless the nations. The church's petition brings us to the church's passion. You'll see how that passion is expressed in verses 3 through 5 with this fourfold let, this um, commandment, this imperative of prayer. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the nations praise you. Let the nations be glad and sing for joy. For you will judge the peoples with uprightness and guide the nations on the earth. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. You see what our passion is to be, the church's passion, your passion, repeated here, that the peoples of the earth will worship and praise God. That is the end of the gospel, you see. Uh, The gospel is not primarily, not at all really, to keep people from going to hell. The gospel is to have a people that will worship God. When Calvin answered the question in his reply to Sadaletto, what are the two things that are most important to us? Um, And if I were to answer that question before Calvin instructed me, I probably would have said the way of salvation through Christ alone. And then something else. Calvin says the way that God is to be rightly worshipped first and foremost and the way of salvation through Christ alone. Is that how you think? So that's how the psalmist teaches us to think here. Uh, We are all about our own worship and all about seeing a people gathered from the world in our midst and unto the ends of the earth to worship God according to his word. That is the passion the psalmist expresses here. It is to be our passion as a church. That's why we are so intense in trying to worship God, not just according to his word, but with joy and enthusiasm. This was the great passion of the psalmist, the great passion of the old covenant church. But how does that happen? Well, you look at the two lines, middle or the second and third line of verse 4. Let the nations be glad and sing for joy. Now, how's that going to happen? How will the nations of the earth be brought to be glad and sing for joy? They, are, uh, they live in the dark domain of Satan. They live under a wicked master. They live in the midst of of superstition and idolatry and self-destruction and guilt, as many of our neighbors do as well. Well, how? How do people come to be glad? How do nations come to be glad? How do they come to have joyful worship? Well, we see the two things here. You will judge the peoples with uprightness and guide the nations on the earth. Now, notice that this is not simply a request. This is confidence. The confidence is that the nations are going to come under 
the royal rule of the righteous Savior. You see, when the psalmist speaks about God coming to judge, speaking in anticipation about the Messiah King, to whom they looked for their salvation and their hope, in whom they believed. And they are looking to the day when Messiah King is going to come and rule with a righteous rule over the nations of the earth. A rule that establishes righteousness for people by his justification, pardoning all of our sins and constituting us legally righteous, by our adoption as children of God, and then by the rule of holiness to which he has gathered us and the Holy Spirit is at work in us. Which leads us then to the last line here, and that is, guide the nations of the earth. The Spirit is our guide. This paraclete, this other comforter who takes the scriptures of God as he indwells us. And he is the one that leads us then unto Christ and to righteous living. Now that's what the gospel is all about. That the nations will be brought to worship God through the salvation purchased by the righteous king and applied by the Holy Spirit. Another psalm that puts this all together is Psalm 96. We get the church's twofold mandate here. Uh, verse 1 and 2a. Sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord all the earth. Sing to the Lord, bless his name. There is our call to worship God. That comes first. Now the gospel. Proclaim good tidings of his salvation from day to day. Tell of his glory among the nations. His wonderful deeds among all the peoples. For great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. He is to be feared above all gods. For all the gods of the peoples are idols, but the Lord made the heavens. Splendor and majesty are before him. Strength and beauty are in his sanctuary. Now look at this call to worship. Ascribe to Jehovah, O families of the earth, all the families of the earth. Ascribe to Jehovah glory and strength. Ascribe to Jehovah, again a threefold description, the glory of his name. Bring an offering and come into his courts. Worship Jehovah in holy attire. Tremble before him, all the earth. And say among the nations, Jehovah reigns. Indeed, the world is firmly established. It will not be moved. He will judge the people with equity. Let the heavens be glad. Let all the earth rejoice. Let the sea roar and all it contains. Let the field exult and all that is in it. Then all the trees of the forest will sing for joy. All this hyperbole. You just, there's no one way to express the praise, the glory that belongs to God at the coming of the righteous king. You see, the nations are glad. <laughs> They've got joy because the Savior's come. I trust that you're glad and have joy because the Savior's come. Before the Lord, for he's coming, not in the second coming, but this is anticipating the first coming. He's coming to judge the earth. And he will judge the world in righteousness. And there's Psalm 67 and the peoples in his faithfulness. You see, the psalmist by the Holy Spirit teaches us the passion of the church. That the nations will come to worship our lovely, lovely holy, triune God. Thanksgiving mandate is a gospel mandate, is a missions mandate. And that brings us then to 
the church's program. We see the petition. We see her passion. So what then? How do we respond? The last two verses. The earth has yielded its produce. God, our God, blesses us. Now you see we've got a declaration. A Thanksgiving declaration. The earth has yielded its produce. Once again, the farmer can sigh with some relief. And uh, the peoples will be fed. He has delivered us, at least in our country, from famine. God, our God, blesses us. Now notice the covenantal language. This is your God personally who has blessed you as you have thought about your blessings and named them as the hymn says, one by one. Well, this is God who is blessing you. You've prayed for it. He does it. It's reiterated here, you know, three times. The earth yielded its produce. God in that has blessed us. God blesses us. And you know that well. And that should be a thought, not just one day a week. You know, every Lord's Day is to be a day of thanksgiving. It's fine to have appointed times. So focus like a magnifying glass, our affections. But every Lord's Day, we're coming here and we should be meditating on our material and spiritual blessings as we enter the courts of the Lord uh, to be aware of what it is that we are doing. But notice, we have another purpose statement. That all the ends of the earth may fear him. It's no longer now just a petition. And it's not simply a passion. This now is our program. This is what we're recognizing that God has called us to do. uh, In the use of the blessings spiritually and materially that he has bestowed upon us. It is for the purpose of the salvation of the nations. That all the ends of the earth, not a place spared, not a kingdom uh, passed over, may fear him. To come to him with faith and reverence and holy worship and walk according to his holy law. I don't know if you ever noticed that this, in fact, is the, the climax of the resurrection of Christ in Psalm 22. In the first half we sing of his suffering on our behalf, and then we come to his, his resurrection, beginning in verse 22. But notice this worldwide effect in 27 and 28, 29. All the ends of the earth, there's our phrase again, we'll remember. And... Turn to the Lord. All the families of the nations will worship before you, Christ. For the kingdom is the Lord's, and he rules over the nations. All the prosperous of the earth will eat and worship, and those who go down to the dust will bow before him. Do you see this? The Christ's reward is not some paltry few. Christ's reward is the nation's. As he's promised in Psalm 2, ask of me, and I will give you the nations as your inheritance, the peoples as your possession. Do you believe that? This is not just one or two psalms. Psalm after psalm doesn't just speak about a few people being converted. The psalms talk about nations being converted. We read here, nations in the way of the Lord. Nations being guided by the Lord. Nations coming to the Lord Jesus Christ. Do you see now what Christ has in mind when he says in the Great Commission, all authority has been given to me in heaven and earth. Go you therefore, make disciples of what? 
the nations, baptizing them, teaching them to observe all I've taught you, and lo, I am with you always. The Psalms teach us that we are to expect God to convert not just people out of the world, but the kingdoms of the earth. There will come a day, according to the Psalms, when the nations will fear God, when the families of the earth will bow down in the presence of the Lord God. And it is for this that we labor and and pray and believe. This is the church's program. It begins here with us as we seek to worship God well and to instruct our covenant children whom we have had the privilege of baptizing in God's name being placed upon them and seeking then to grow together in grace and godliness. Have this common commitment to uh, uh, the Sabbath as the whole day of the Lord and to corporate worship morning and evening because these things are important to God. They must be important then to us. This must be our program as Antioch Presbyterian Church. God showered so many blessings upon us. And he so greatly blessed us and adding to us uh, uh, almost week after week, other people coming into our midst. Um, and, and that's great. But may God give us this one great mind for godliness and for worship and for a gospel program that with confidence believes that God is going to reign as a righteous king through Jesus Christ over the nations of the earth. And so that's our mandate. We take this blessing that God pronounces over us, we turn it into a prayer, and we ask the Spirit to give us this passion for the lost. Yes, we love our neighbors ourselves, but a passion that out of these people, God will bring a great host to worship Him. And that's why we want to worship Him well here. That's why worship, as I've already said, is so important to us. And it's, it's why we want others to come to this high view of worship that's revealed to us in the Word of God, not out of the mind of men, and to do it in a full-orbed way. May that be your commitment, and may it continue to be the commitment of Antioch Presbyterian Church. And that God will will then shine upon us His face as as we seek in humility and grace, aware of our sin, uh, to worship Him according to His Word. Will He then bless us? Yes, bless you materially and spiritually. Bless us as a congregation that we might be part of this great program of gospel expansion. And this is why we meet on Lord's Day afternoon for kingdom prayer. And this is why we have a regular prayer meeting when so few churches have a regular prayer meeting. And why you people are so wonderful in your attendance at prayer meeting. Because you recognize that it's through the blessing of God that this expansion shall occur in our own midst, in your own heart, your own sanctification, your own families, but also in the kingdom of Christ coming. So don't ever forget again the Thanksgiving mandate. God's blessed us that we might be a blessing to the nations of the earth. Let us pray. Oh, holy God, we thank you for the blessings that you indeed have bestowed upon us in Christ. Uh, We thank you for uh, the glory of understanding um, uh, your grace in the gospel. 
and the singularity of the work of Christ on our behalf and the fact that he is a righteous king who now is enthroned, who has subdued us unto himself and who rules and defends us and is restraining and conquering all of his and our enemies that his kingdom might come according to uh, the promise of the Spirit in the Psalms and in the Great Commission. May we be encouraged, Lord, in our own walk with you. May our hearts be filled not only with joy of blessings, but to see our blessings returned then to you in our tithes and offerings, in our prayers, and in our energy and work. And we ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this sermon from Antioch Presbyterian Church. We are located in the historic Cashville community of Woodruff, South Carolina, near the intersection of South Carolina Highways 101 and 417. For more information about Antioch Presbyterian Church, please visit AntiochPCA.com.